1: Have you
0: ever been stuck? You know those situations where you're just in that relationship, you're unable to break out of it, you're in a job that you really dislike but are unable to move on. All of those things where we find ourselves simply stuck and somehow we ask our friends and they start to tell us, hey, push forward, move on, be strong. And you read all of those psychology books and, They give you tips and advice, and yet you remain stuck. My guest today decided to make stuck the core of her work. In her new book, The Science of Stuck, which she wrote based on her personal experience as well as her professional work background and her research, she suggests that there are ways where you can actually break out of being stuck that are not based on today's current methodologies of uh, toughening up, if you want. Britt Frank is a clinical educator. She is a trauma therapist. She basically works mostly with trauma patients, and she writes widely about the mental health myth that keeps us stuck. She received her BA from Duke University, her MSW from the University of Kansas, uh, where she later became the award-winning professor. She's also a somatic experiencing practitioner. I'm going to ask about that. I heard about somatic. don't remember exactly what that was level three trained in the internal family system uh, therapeutic model. And uh, Britt was the primary therapist at a drug and alcohol treatment center, an inpatient therapist at a children's psychiatric uh, hospital. And now she owns her own private practice. You can find uh, Britt's new book on the www.thescienceofstuck.com. But we're going to discuss it now to see if getting stuck truly is something that follows a science. Britt Frank. I'm really grateful that you join me. I'm going to take as much time as you give me because it's a wonderful topic, but uh, hopefully won't give you, keep you too long. So wanted to uh, first start by saying I love what you're doing. I think it's wonderful. And I love that uh, I love that it is uh, science-based and practice-based, but I also love that you uh, sometimes openly say that it was because of your personal experience of being stuck sometimes. And um, and I think we all get stuck. I mean, when I read your work, I realize how much stuck I sometimes myself am. I mean, worked on myself for ages and ages, but as I think you also agree, you still have something more to do. You still have something more to work, to unstuck yourself from. So tell me a bit, where did that start from?
1: Well, I agree with you that we all have stuck things. It can be a little disheartening to think of like, oh my God, there's more to do. There's more to work on. So the way I try to spin it is there's more good for you in your life. Like your life might be, you know, not everyone had to be as a disastrous mess of a human as I was. And I know a lot of people whose lives generally work okay. Like they're they're fine. You know, they do their job. They're fine. They go home. They're fine. And it's not, oh God, I have to do more work. It's, oh my gosh, there's so much more good, there's more life, there's more expansiveness, there's more joy, there's more opportunity. So I like to flip it on its head. It's like, here's why it makes sense to do the work of getting unstuck, even if you're fine. I wasn't fine. I was a drug addict. I had mental health issues, diagnoses up the – I had a long list of clinical depression and anxiety disorder and borderline and all kinds of crazy stuff. But even if you're fine, we're not here on the planet to just be fine if we have the privilege of choosing. Not everyone gets to choose and not everyone has options and resources. But if you have the options and you have the resources, why settle for fine? There's so much more than meh available to you.
0: <laughs> I love that I think fine is needed for all of us But that's the basic need of, you know, this is we shouldn't ever accept any less than that But I agree with you I think flipping it to say there is better from the positive It's like, I'm okay I'm doing my work I'm fine But I can be better I think is a wonderful way of, of saying it how long ago was that, drug addiction and all of the issues?
1: So when I was in college, I started to spin. And then I went to a really, really like well-respected university. So on paper, it's like, I'm at Duke University. I must be doing well. And I wasn't doing well. And then when I graduated mm. at 22, I continued to not do well. And then eventually, I spun out and hit the wall. I don't like the idea of rock bottom, because rock bottom is wherever you say, I'm done, game over, I'm ready to make a change. It doesn't have to be, you know, I'm living in this, you know, mess of a situation. But for me, I'm stubborn and I ignored life's little whispers and I waited until I was face down in the dirt before I changed. And so it's really been this book is my journey of coming out of the caves and looking around and going, Oh, this is how to human. This is much better on this side (laughs) than the other side. So it really, I mean, I'm trained as a clinician, I'm a trauma specialist, but I am fully human and my entire body of work comes from my own personal experience with recovery. I love
0: that. I, I think that's why it reaches the, you know my mind and heart as well, because it feels very personal. It feels like you're taking this mission on as a, as a way of saying, I don't want anyone else to be stuck where I was stuck. And I think that really shows, honestly, in, in what you do.
1: Thank you.
0: Can I ask you, so you, you, you seem to have a, a slightly different definition of trauma. Like you work with trauma patients all the time. I mean, trauma in my mind is something really bad happened in the past. I'm unable to overcome it with my current logic. It's just causing me issues in my subconscious. I'm unable to deal with it. What and that's certainly
1: is- an experience of trauma. But it, the definition of trauma that I use the from the somatic experiencing is one type of trauma therapy that I'm trained in. And the definition that Dr. Peter Levine uses, and he has a multi-decade career of multidisciplinary studies and everything. And he says this, trauma is not defined by the things that happen, but it's defined by how our brain processes it. So trauma by that definition could be anything that is too much, too fast, too soon, or not enough. The way I've sort of synthesize that down is trauma is like brain indigestion. So if you eat poison food, you know you're going to get sick. It's pretty much a given. But you could also get indigestion from the same food that you've eaten every day. So trauma doesn't necessarily mean you had an abusive childhood or something horrible happened to you or you lived in a war. Trauma is anything, any experience that exceeds your brain's ability to metabolize and process. Now, some people get really annoyed with me when I say that because they say, oh, great, well, then everything is going to traumatize us. By that definition, we're just walking around waiting to be traumatized, and that's not true. It's like food. Not everything you eat is going to give you indigestion, but if you're a human, at some level, At some point, you're going to experience it to a degree. And the same is true for trauma. Trauma is brain indigestion. We all have it to a degree. Not everyone needs therapy. Not everyone needs medication. But to know that trauma is just part of the human experience. It's an automatic process. We don't get a say in what our brain digests any more than we get a say in what our stomachs digest. And so knowing that really normalizes it and takes the, well, I have a good life. Therefore, I don't have trauma. Or I had a great childhood. Therefore, I don't have trauma. It's like, sure you do. We all do, to a degree, at varying levels, at varying times. But trauma is anything that exceeds our brain's ability to metabolize and process.
0: That's really interesting. Is this why some of us would be traumatized by certain things that may not traumatize others? I mean, the tolerance of trauma is very different from one person to the other, so... Could it be that this is our brain's abilities are different in different topics or different fields and so on?
1: Yes, and it's not about strong versus weak. It's not like if you have an experience that doesn't create trauma, that your brain is better than mine. It's just like, you know, you may be able to eat a certain type of food that if I eat, I get sick. And it doesn't mean your digestion is better. It's, we're different. And because of genetics, because of environment, because of history, because of nature, because of nurture, there's a, a million factors that that go into how our brains process our experiences. But mm. anything, can, you can, know, let's um, fender benders, like little minor car accidents are a great example of this. Research has shown that for some people minor, quote, fender benders can create really, really amplified trauma responses. And people feel really crazy and they feel really ashamed. I have patients. What is wrong with me, Brett? It was the tiniest, like we barely dinged the car and now all of a sudden I can't sleep and I'm having nightmares and I'm having these anxiety episodes. I don't know why your brain decided to not digest that experience, but it doesn't matter why. That's what I love about this work, is you don't need to go hunting for, well, where in your childhood did a fender bender create? It doesn't matter. All we know is for whatever reason, your brain didn't like that. So let's figure out what to do about it moving forward.
0: That's so interesting. So I recently, a few weeks ago, had a fender bender with a wonderful lady, Abby, who was just very busy at the time she was just coming back from a, a trip and then needed to take care of her kids and her work and so on and that little thing i don't i'm not saying it it was trauma but that little thing was just added to her life and I felt so guilty, if you want because it was it was my mistake but and I offered to do anything to fix it and everything and but you know just the idea of taking away some of her time when she was so busy just made made me feel like that wasn't nice if you want, but I can see what you're saying, you know in her own situation, the experience became a bit too much or a bit more than the ability, maybe more than the the time that she had available to sit down and add one more thing to her life if you want. And that could be the case with trauma as well.
1: Exactly, and on the reverse end, let's say for you, all of a sudden you're feeling Exceedingly guilty, and now you can't sleep. And you're even though it's this minor thing, and you know it's not your fault and it's not that big of a deal. For whatever reason, maybe somewhere in your history, you felt guilty for taking someone's time. And again, we don't need to know why or where or how or who, we don't have to dig for memories. But for whatever reason, that experience created an inability to digest or process for you. And again, the why I'm a therapist that really does not like asking why. Well, why am I feeling this way? I don't know. Does that really matter? It can our stories matter but why do I feel this way just is sort of an interesting introspection what am I going to do about it what are my choices what are my tools what are my resources it's so much more efficient
0: Yeah, you're my hero. I keep saying this to people all the time. So my work is I look at mental health and well being and happiness and so on from an engineer's point of view, right? And from an engineer's point of view, if you get your car to my workshop, and there is a hose leaking, right? No engineer will sit down and go like, "Mm, let's go back into every road you've ever driven on and see where that hose broke. Right,
1: You just I love the that. Home. Yes, yes, and mental health is that now. That with the caveat, our stories matter, and sometimes we need someone to witness our story, and sometimes we need to share our story. But you don't need to know. Like you, I love. I'm so stealing that metaphor because it's so perfect. we <laughs> don't, you don't need to know every road, <laughs> which <Yeah. laughs> pothole, which pothole was it? That it doesn't matter. It can be useful. And as a therapist, I love the why personally, and that's my my job. And you know, I love studying why we do what we do. But it's not helpful if you're talking about feeling better, getting motivated, achieving your goals. Most people don't need to know what broke the hose. They just want to know, what's it going to cost? What do I need to do? Do you have the parts? Can you fix it? And then Mm. be on their way. And this is the same, very much the same process.
0: Can I ask a controversial question though? (laughs) So, so therapy in general, I'm a huge advocate of therapy, but I think there are multiple schools and many of them, and it's not my area of expertise, many of them would not tell you what to do. They would want you to reach the point at which you will know what to do. And I don't know if that's like a school of science or is it really a legal issue or I don't know, right? But why is that the case? Why is it that most of the time when someone sends me something on Instagram and say, hey, I'm feeling this way because of that happening and so on and so forth, very, very quickly I'll answer back and I say, have you thought of this? Have you thought of this? Have you thought of that? Right. And, you know, I may be wrong, but humans are adults and they're able to say, yeah, I feel this one and I don't feel that one. And, oh, that one got me thinking. And maybe in a couple of more questions, we'll get to some place where someone will think about something. Why is it that therapy avoids telling you what to do?
1: So I think where therapy sort of historically originated, the Freudian tradition of laying on the couch and just rambling three times a week to your analyst who just doesn't say anything to you, I think people that adhere to that model, and I'm a big advocate of don't adhere dogmatically to any model of therapy. They're all useful. Sometimes it's – if I had a 16-year-old who said to me, why did this happen to my car, I may want to take the time to educate them on that. It might not be. I just give them the tools and off they go. So I think it really depends on the situation. For some people, having the – okay, here are 10 things you can do. I mean, in my book, every chapter has here are 10 things you can do. Go do it.
0: I know. Yeah. But
1: (laughs) – so there's certainly a place for prescriptive Sort of therapy, like do this, don't do this, take this, don't take that. But I also think that some people are looking to outsource the adulting to other people. And so for some people I work with, when they say, What should I do? I'm not going to answer that, not because I don't want to help them, but because In this particular case, for this person, the task is not what's the prescription. The task is hey, guess what? You're an adult. And if I sit with you long enough, you're actually going to realize that you know what to do. So just doing the let me find my own way to my own answers with no help is not really optimal. Just doing do this, do this, do this, do this is also suboptimal because it's sort of disempowering, but we need both. And whenever I sit with a client, I always say to myself, what's needed here is. Are we needing prescriptive, do this, do that, or are we needing someone to help them know that you actually do know what to do and you don't need to outsource your solutions and you don't need to take a poll of everyone you know because you don't need permission as an adult to make choices. But I think it's a combination.
0: And you think the person sitting on that sofa and telling the story should have the right to ask and say, hey, I told you about lots of things now, tell me what you think I should do?
1: Oh, I have lots of clients who do that. And depending on the the circumstance and my relationship, sometimes I'll say, okay, let's get to, you know, let's get to business and here's our plan. And sometimes I'll get really snarky and I'll look at them and I'll say, yeah, no, not doing it, not doing your work for you. In this case, you actually know what to do. And then they'll be like, oh yeah, you're right, I do. And. And it's empowering in that sense. It's disempowering if someone is in crisis and they don't have the ability to hear themselves think. That's really horrible if I were to say, no, you have the answer inside you. You figure it out. If someone's in crisis, prescriptive therapy is really, really helpful. If someone actually just wants to outsource the adulting – I'm not a parent in therapy. And so if I know that the person in front of me actually knows what to do, I will say, I love you. I'm not doing that for you. And then they'll be like, okay, yeah, you're right, I do. I just don't want to do it myself. Mm. And so it's important to make us, you know, allowances for both. We need thinking strategies. We need body strategies. We need prescriptive strategies. We need more analytical, let me hear myself think. What do I want to do in this case? And I, I do think if you don't do both, we do people a disservice.
0: Okay, so I, ha- I have to ask a side question which would, would will distract us, but because I told people in the introduction I will ask, because I can't remember what it is and I didn't have the time to Google it. Somatic experiencing therapy, what is that?
1: So, it's a, a, a very wordy way of saying working with the body. So, we, you know, our minds are, as far as we know, our minds live somewhere in our brains. We, no one knows where consciousness is, but we assume it's in the brain somewhere. The brain is a physical blob and it lives inside a physical body. So, somatic experiencing just means recognizing, hey, you have a body and it does things that create feelings, and your body does automatic things that will create behaviors, and you can't think your way out out of a lot of your issues. Because if it's an automatic body process, just like digestion, you need to know there are body-based interventions and there are thinking-based interventions. So somatic experiencing really works with the body in addressing mental health and trauma and healing and wellness and motivation and all the things that we want.
0: So why do we get stuck? Let's just jump into it, right? I have an experience. Let's take the car, Fender Bender, right? It is actually interesting. In general, for me, I get stuck because I feel responsible for others, right? In general. So, like you rightly said, it wasn't my mistake. It was a a little traffic light and so on. But I sort of am an impasse, so I feel that if someone did this to me, it would be really, really, really an additional weight on my current very busy schedule. I just don't want to disappoint others. And I do this over and over. It shows up in my work, it shows up in my travel schedule, and so on. Why am I stuck?
1: <laughs> Let me just tell you what your problem is. Like, here,
0: Yes, 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 yes. Actually, I'm an engineer. Just tell me what to do, <laughs> <laughs> which host <was> to fix. <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay, so your first question, just why do you, all of us get stuck? There are two main reasons why we all get stuck. I'll get to I'll get to your problem in a second. Yes, two yes, reasons... yes. Yeah.
0: Put me, me later. I'm a le- lower priority. <laughs> fine, fine. bread. go for it.
1: <laughs> we get stuck for usually one of two reasons. One, a lack of information. If I don't know that mm. I have a broken hose, I'm going to keep driving around, and I'm not going to know why my car keeps breaking down or why it's not going. That is not a lack of willingness. That's not like, it's just, I don't have the right information for the problem at hand. So it's very pragmatic. Sometimes it really is a simple matter of, oh my God, Britt, my car doesn't work. What's wrong with me? Nothing. Go to the gas station and fill up the tank. You're on empty. And it's as simple Mm. as that. So lack Mm. of information is often why we get stuck. And with mental health, most mental health, It's changing now, but many mental health providers are not trained in the body, the brain, or how our brain and bodies work together. So there's a lot of misinformation. So lack of information will keep us stuck almost every time. So that's the first one. The second reason we get stuck is because there's a painful truth somewhere, either from our past or a painful truth about ourselves that we don't want to deal with, but unaddressed pain will always create a sense of stuck, always. It's not always the case that we have these pain points. And I'm not talking about memories that you've repressed or anything like that. But if you, So going back to you, if you have this sense of over-responsibility, I don't need to know where in your story, for whatever reason, you either felt guilty or like something bad would happen if you didn't function in this way. And then we would work on how accurate is that information and where's the pain that created that story. And then we would work both again prescriptively like here are some things you can do about that and all right now we got to sort of drill down and like at the dentist like sometimes you have to drill down and get the infected stuff out before you can seal it and fill it and be on your way I would much prefer to just fill up my gas tank and go but sometimes we get stuck because we're not dealing with some truth about ourselves or our lives and we spend an inordinate amount of time and resources avoiding the things that we know. And that's not because we're bad or because we're terrible people. It's just, it's hard to know what we know. And it's painful to come to grips with the entire reality of the humaning that we have to do on this planet. So know what you know, which is a lot harder than it sounds, and make sure you're getting accurate information are really the two main keys to why we get stuck and how to get unstuck.
0: So this is a lot of, brain work, really. It's a lot of analysis, a lot of reflection, and a lot of honesty with oneself, right?
1: It starts with the honesty. Now, again, you can't think your way out of stuck. So I'm going to just make something up. Let's say that once upon a time, you didn't do something for someone, and then something horrible happened to them. And now every time you get in a car to pick somebody, maybe you didn't pick someone up from the airport, and then something bad happened. Okay, so every time you get in your car to go to the airport, you start panicking. So you can't really think your way out of that because your brain has created an association. It's created a neural pathway. And so there are physical things you need to do with physiological brain pathway stuff. So it's again, it's a combination of thinking and body work. We have to have both. You can't breath work and yoga your way out of stuck, but you can't think your way out of stuck. So the thinking stuff, they call that top down work and working with the body, they call that bottom up and you need both in order to get out of stuck. Mm. But it all starts with truth. It all starts with honesty, which is a tough sell, but it's true.
0: In a very interesting way, this would then make stock a good thing, right?
1: I think it can be. I mean, I wouldn't want to repeat my story. I wouldn't want to repeat one second of my 20s. <laughs> for sure. But if I hadn't gotten stuck, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to change and to find out that not only can I be better, but I can have more fun being alive if I address these patterns of stuck. And so getting stuck is not a sign that you stink as a human or that there's some moral defect or a brokenness. It's just, hey, if you're stuck, it means you're out of alignment with what's true for you. Again, to the degree that you have safety, access to resources, and choices. Some people don't have those, and that's not th- that's not what we're talking about here. But if you're stuck, then cool. Then let's reroute so you can actually go in the direction that you want to be going in. Because any life that isn't authentic is going to feel crappy, whether or not it has money, whether or not there's power or whatever. And so it's really important that being happy and being unstuck requires, to a degree, not lying to ourselves about ourselves.
0: And then how do we move forward? So I realize there is a situation and, you know, this is causing me this pain or this is a truth about me and so on. Many of us then procrastinate, basically. We go like, okay, um, I'm happy where I am anyway,
1: you know. Which is a lie, which is totally a lie, right? And that once you say Mm -hmm. I'm good Mm -hmm. where I am, you've completely gotten out of the entire, you know, there are three main steps. If you Here's your, for your engineer brain. Here are the three steps to getting unstuck. One, stop lying to yourself. You're not fine. It's okay that you're not fine. Like We're all a mess, especially now in these unprecedented times. Like We're all not fine, so you're not fine, so stop lying to yourself. Then step two, what are my choices? Not why am I feeling this way, not where in my childhood did things go wrong. Again, that can be useful, but if we're talking just how to get unstuck, one, get honest. Two, make a list of all of the choices, all of the people, places, things, tools, everything that's actually available to you. And then here's the kicker. Step three, Of those choices, what are you willing to do? And getting honest about what you're willing to do. I know that there are certain things on any – like today, I traveled all day. I'm not willing to go to the gym after we get done with this conversation. I know I'm not going to do that, so I'm not going to lie to myself. But I'm also not going to go home and sit on my couch and be like, why didn't I go to the gym? Why am I so lazy? What's wrong with me? I made a choice. And tomorrow, I'll make a different choice. So step one, get honest. Step two, what's your menu of options? Step three, what are you willing to do? It sounds really simple, but that is a very, very powerful three-step process for getting moving.
0: It really is. I think the especially the idea of which options and which ones of those am I willing to do is quite interesting, actually. And believe it or not, when you think about those things, when you allow yourself to say, hey, I'm stuck in this. We spoke about the fact that I'm constantly working a little extra because I do care and I want to make a difference and so on and so forth. And Munir, my manager and the producer of this podcast and I, we were traveling together and we were talking about it. And then some of the options are, yeah, you can continue to work similar hours, but maybe not every day of the week. Right. Or maybe you can take, you know, like a a recording artist, slow-mo, this podcast doesn't have to be every other day or whatever it can be. I'm going to record for a week and take a week off and, and stuff like that. And these are actually so much easier to do as options than telling me, no, you don't have to work too hard. Okay, or you, you're going to have to drop the frequency of what you do or whatever that is.
1: It's so vague, right? And if it's vague and it's sort of just don't work so hard or just you know try not to do so much, you can't really pin that down. And so getting really specific about what your choices are, I love what you said. Like, okay, maybe you do less frequent as in once every other week or you do four days instead of seven or whatever. And the other thing is we're all very quick to like discount those small choices. So let's say instead of going to the gym and running 10 miles, I take a walk with my dog around my block. Like, cool, that's a choice, it's valid. But a lot mm. of people will go home and say, oh, well, yeah, I walked around the block, but I should have gone to the gym and I'm so lazy and what's wrong with me? And it's like, if we discount our small Yeses are small choices that we're willing to do. We're never going to make it to the big stuff. The big stuff that we want, like the really big life shifts, transformations, all of that, are a result of little yeses and little wins that compound over time. So, whatever the smallest yes you can get yourself to, it sort of doesn't count if you invalidate it. So, It's really important, whatever you choose from your options, don't beat yourself up if it's not the big thing. If you can get one hour less a week of you overworking, cool, that's one hour less, and that will lead us to two hours less, and that might lead us to 15 or 20 later on, but we need to count everything. It all counts.
0: You're spot on. And actually, it helped me a lot to be chatting about this with someone. I mean, we came up with ideas that were brilliant, really. I mean, some of the things I can do is I do a weekly episode of Slow Mo, right? And Munir was suggesting, you know, maybe you can record for two weeks of every quarter. Right? And we're trying really hard to move the podcast to video and so on. And so, you know, having a proper setup and record for two weeks of every quarter is actually quite nice. You know, two, three conversations a day, not grueling work, very high quality. And then I can move from that to have the remaining weeks quite free for me to write and do the other things that I enjoy. But it needed that conversation. It needed because I, in a way, am feeling stuck. I'm inside. Right. And I'm saying, look, this is how it is. It just things keep coming at my way and I'm unable to get myself out of them. What would you suggest that help could be? Is it always a therapist?
1: No. And as a therapist, I am saying therapy is not for everyone and it's not necessary for everyone. So let's say this for you, this overworking was burning you out and now you can't sleep and that's sort of turned into now you're drinking too much and then you land on my couch and you say, okay, Britt, I'm stuck. I would say to you, do we need to dig around and figure out the deep-seated origin of this? Like, do we need to drill down and get to it? Or do we just need to find a solution? And if we just need to find a solution, I'm delighted to help you with that. But you don't need a therapist for that. You can use a coach for that. You can use a skillful friend for that. And really, the the right question to ask is, what are my specific and measurable and actionable choices? Not like, what do I want? And how do I want to feel? And I'm a therapist saying, don't worry about how you feel. It's what is it that you're looking for? <laughs> Quantitatively, are you looking to work less hours? Great. Forget about how you feel just for a minute. And let's go with what are you willing to do? I'm I know as a workaholic person myself. I'm not willing to cut down from where I am to where I want to be, but I am willing to cut down maybe one. And then after I see that my life doesn't explode from working a little bit less, then I have built up a little bit of self-trust and then I can take another step and then another step. But when you invalidate, you just spin. And a lot of therapists who I respect every colleague in my field, well, most of them, and it's important to know we don't need introspection and deep dive analysis for every single thing that keeps us stuck. Skillful, solution focused therapists can help you. Do you need one? Not necessarily.
0: Mm. You're my hero. Every time you say that, I will tell you, you're my hero. <laughs> Fix the problem. You don't have to know the history all the time. I mean, sometimes it's useful. Sometimes it's That's not. Right. But also, also, also welcome to the workshop, Miss Engineer. <laughs> you know, that is how, how it is. It's also actually a very business oriented approach. The funny bit is that I learned to work on myself that way. In my office, really, I would get people walking into my office and saying, oh, we have a problem, and this and that happened, and that person's not cooperating, and so on. And I just don't go back to history and say, did you argue with Julie when you joined the company 14 years ago? I'll say, okay, how can we work with Julie? It's it's as simple as that. What can we do? What can we do to move forward? Okay, I'll go the opposite way. Sometimes people don't want to move forward. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people even self-sabotage. Where does that come from?
1: Mm. So that goes back to the honesty piece. There was a long time I wasn't willing to move forward, and I I would never have said this then, but I enjoyed being stuck because it was familiar, it was safe, and it didn't require anything of me. It didn't require risk. It didn't require Ooh. me to change. It didn't require me to evaluate what was working for me and what wasn't. The two business tools that you were talking about, the business world for this, that I love, are inventory. a business that doesn't take inventory will very quickly fail, and doing a cost-benefit analysis so you can sort of figure out what's going on here. If someone doesn't want to get unstuck, okay, let's not Fight about it and let's not lie about it, but let's do a cost benefit analysis. Okay, you don't, I'll use drugs as an example. Okay, you don't want to quit doing drugs. I'm not here to tell you what to do, but let's get really honest. What is using drugs costing you? And what is using drugs doing to benefit you? And there are always benefits to even our most toxic, unhealthy, horrible behaviors. And so let's just name it. And if you don't want to get unstuck, then don't act like you do. I have clients that'll say that. They're like, well, I just, you know, I really want to change. I'm like, no, you don't. And that's OK. But if you don't want to change over here, let's not waste your time and money doing that. Let's figure out where in your life are you willing to make little changes. And again, mm. of the step, the three steps that we talked about, step one is let's just start getting honest. If you want to stay stuck because it's safer, you don't risk failure, you don't risk social rejection, you don't risk finances, you don't risk a lot of things, fine. Fine. Don't beat yourself up, but let's name it and then let's pivot to something that you are willing to work on. Because if you can get a gain over here, this stuff over here will seem less appealing. And as long as your behavior is benefiting you more than it's costing you, you're going to keep doing it. So that's just a fact. So that's important to know. Even our most suboptimal behaviors have benefits. So if you don't want to get unstuck, okay, cool.
0: That's – Who are you? Uh, It's it's so interesting. But I I relate deeply, deeply, deeply to this. And, you know, especially with some of my very dear friends, we sometimes have that idea of, you know what, I don't know, is it because also we don't want to confess to ourselves that we're not doing well? Is there a bit of ego there? It's like, you know what, this is who I am. And if they don't like it, then it's their problem. I, I don't know where who I am comes from. I actually had a conversation today with my feverish COVID, with a friend, yeah, saying, but how is this serving you? I mean, how did that response at work serve you, right? Would you have chosen a different response that would have made your life at work better, got you more out of work, rather than just telling them the truth. Why do we make those choices? Sometimes uh, I can think vividly of a friend and I hope she's listening. Sometimes we just say, this is who I am and I don't care. Accept me, accept me, accept me, accept me. And constantly we end up in a place where our own life is tough.
1: This is true. And the this is who I am excuse is not biologically accurate because what we know about the brain is the brain changes. The brain that we have now is not the brain we're going to have in a year from now. And we know about neuroplasticity that however we're wired, we can change it and we can create new pathways and we can create new habits. So to say this is just who I am is not true. And so I would much, if I had that friend, I would much rather be like, listen, 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 girl, like this isn't who you are, but if this is how you want to be right now and for whatever reason, this is working for you, I'm not here to judge. I may need to set some boundaries, but it's so important to know that people often stay stuck, not because this is who they are, but because the benefit to staying stuck outweighs the cost of change. Change is really painful. I'm not advocating being stuck as a good choice, but if there are some people who are okay being fine, and as much as that bothers me, because I'm like, no, you could have so much more. It could be so much better. Who am I to tell someone that they should want more than fine? It's sad, especially if it's someone you really love and really care about, who's content, quote unquote, with staying stuck. But we all get agency over what we want to do, what we're willing to do and what we're willing to change. I don't accept this is who I am because that's not true. But if this is who I choose to be because the pain of doing the work of change is gonna cost me too much, okay, like okay.
0: <laughs> You're my hero. Okay, so I, uh, I wanna say that we uh, often make those choices I'm just going to contradict something as a devil's advocate. Some people will sometimes say, but hold on, hold on. If I'm a a Virgo or an Aquarius or a Gemini, then I'm built in a certain way. And look at it, you know, they even describe my character. And what does that mean? There must be some kind of something inherent within us. In my computer science analogy, I say we all come with a specific configuration right? A lot of what happens afterwards is conditioning in my personal view, but definitely there are some of us that have more math aptitude than they have literature abilities and so on. So we come with different configurations. We're not not all the same. And so probably this is why some traumas affect us differently, but it is who I am might apply to that.
1: Okay. I rolled my eyes because the, I'm just a Virgo. I'm like, no, you're just being like, a jerk, but like, okay, whatever. (laughs) And I agree with you that our person, you know, I'm a super sensitive empathy introvert. And so that is how I'm wired. You don't
0: come across as an introvert at all. Like you're the opposite of... Where does that come from? I don't believe you. No (laughs) way. It's true.
1: I would rather (laughs) be doing this. Like I'd rather be on stage in front of 500 people than at a cocktail party having to talk to 20. That's just, again, is that who I am? It's not who I am, but it is how my personality is, like you said, configured. But that doesn't mean I can't change it. Like I can go to parties and not just like be shaking and sweating in the corner, but I've had to do some work because it was important to me to be able to function with people. Because I like people and I like having friends, but I am an introvert and I am an empath and highly sensitive. So in that area, I have to work a little bit harder. So again, this is who I am. That's why I can't is a lie. This is how I'm configured and that's why this is a little harder. Okay. Like that's true. Certain things come easier for some people than to others. And so that's fine. But that doesn't mean you're stuck. It just means you're going to have to do a little extra work in this other area if you want to get some mobilization in that area. And if you don't want to, then say it. It's amazing We can only be honest with ourselves so many days in a row before we are compelled to start changing. It's really the lying to ourselves that keeps us in that swirl of, oh, no, this is just who I am, or maybe I'll start tomorrow, or, you know, I'll get to it later. If I wake up every day, one of my favorite therapy assignments is at the end of the day ask yourself what are 10 lies that you told either to other people or to yourself
0: (laughs) interesting there's
1: only so many days in a row you're going to do that before you're like okay i'm sick of my own crap i'm ready to make some
0: changes (laughs) Uh that is so cool okay how many lies did you lie today you guys listening to us
1: and no shame. That's the other thing. Like, I am not a like I don't deal in shame. If shaming and beating ourselves up. Oh, my God, I'm a liar. Oh, my God, look at all the lies I'm telling. It's like it's not that deep. We all do it. And so let's take this. Sh- and again, I'm not excusing behaviors. You know, if what you're doing is causing harm to someone else, that is a whole nother thing. I'm not talking about that. But at the end of the day, if you notice that you're totally full of crap, and you're lying to yourself and to other people all day, just get curious. You don't have to shame your If shaming ourselves into behavioral change worked, I would have a job and we'd be good to go because we're all experts <laughs> at you know beating ourselves up. So if you can switch to getting curious, wow, I am so, like for me personally, I was such a liar. Oh my god, I was so full of crap, it was like coming out every which way. So I had to get curious, like, wow, that's really interesting what's the function of this? What is the benefit to this? What am I getting out of this? And what would be another alternative to change the ratio of the cost and the benefit? Eventually, my behaviors cost more than they were benefiting to me. And that's when I changed.
0: That's amazing. I want to talk about you as an author. How is that author life for you? So you just came from a book event, traveling, and how is that working for you? Are you enjoying this at all?
1: Well, the book's been out a week, so it's like my and I don't have children, children. So this is like my baby. I've wanted to be oh. an author since I was. I didn't really have friends when I was little, but I would make little fake books and I would sign my little library books and do things oh. like that. So this That's is like so
0: beautiful. This is like the, a dream come true.
1: Yeah, this has been really a um, a labor of love, and it's so personal. And I'm so happy that I can say i am now an author and the the work that i put out into the world is going to be useful to other people i believe and so it's only been a week that it's been out so i'm still adjusting to oh my god this book idea has been an idea or like a file on a computer screen for five years and now it's like paper and ink and pages Mm -hmm. and it's so exciting i'm so happy that it's out in the world now
0: I'm so grateful that you did it. I love the idea. I, said, there is a, I don't know if I'm saying this right, but you have this way of summarizing things or not summarizing, but you have those last few pages of every chapter. It's almost like you're saying, don't read the book if you don't want to. Just read those, <laughs> which is, which again sounds so like you now that I know you. You're like, let's get to it. Huh? Let's get done, right? So if, if you don't even want to read the book, just do those things, right? It's, that's a very interesting approach, actually.
1: <laughs> well, it's, you know, I I loved academic- Damia I love school and I've taught at you know the university level which I personally like but who has the time or the inclination to dig through oceans of research and you don't need to spend seven months trying to dig through a book A lot of this information that we need is so buried in like the dusty, stacks of academia that no one's going to get to it. Or it's only accessible if you're in these high level environments. And so it's not rocket science. So Mm. I'm really passionate about like, okay, we can actually like use fewer words to say the same thing. And we don't need to use big words That's sort of like intellectual masturbation. Like, let's just call it what it is. Let's say it, let's get to it. And let's do it. And I get pissy when people tell me how to read a book, like you have to read it in this order. And then you have to I, I personally get a offended (laughs) that's my own trigger that's my own issue my own trauma so I really wanted to write the book that don't read it you can read the last page of every chapter and get moving you can skim it or if you want to do a d I've left enough breadcrumbs so you can like go digging down rabbit trails if you're so inclined but Mm. it's really for people that don't want to deal with all the things they just want to know enough of the things to get moving again
0: Mm. did I mention you were my hero (laughs) (laughs) thank you i have to say i really 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 enjoyed this conversation the book is a joy to read i think you're driven by a mission that's making a difference it's personal i can feel it and i love that you're doing that and uh, you know what covid or no covid fever or no fever it was a fantastic choice to spend time with you today you're an amazing amazing human being
1: Thank you. This conversation was so fun. I can't believe that was almost an hour. I'm like, sweet. Okay, what's next? I could talk to you for another hour. But, you know, you're sick and it's been a day and we covered a lot of grounds. But this was so we much did. fun. Thank you.
0: Actually, there are certain episodes where I sometimes we run into an hour or two, but sometimes there is so much condensed content and thoughts and practice that people need to go back and listen to it again. So for all of you listening, this is one of those episodes where I will say, if you have another hour, rewind and play it again, because I have to admit to you, it is truly, truly a choice what we suffer from. I used to call it radical accountability. I think the idea of radical honesty and really finding options don't get stuck. I mean, there is no reason why you should worry about how, difficult something is i i love what you said you know uh, brett you said take small steps take one hour away of your work schedule walk around the block just do something so that you unstuck yourself i am so so grateful that you rushed from the airport and gave me this time it was a wonderful conversation
1: thank you so much for having me
0: yeah and for all of you listening i have to say As I say, every time after such a wonderful conversation, I am so grateful that you give me the alibi to meet such wonderful people and to learn so much and to talk about my own personal issues in front of millions of you. (laughs) And so it is a a joy to record Slow Mo. I hope you're enjoying it as much as I am. If you are, please do tell others about it. I think it's making a difference. And I think uh, only if we help each other find beautiful, beautiful thoughts like Brits today, will we make a society and a world that we want to live in? I remind you after every one of those rough days that you rush from the airport, from a book event or whatever it is that you are doing, that there is always a tiny bit of time to slow down, to reflect and to actually live. I love you all for listening and I will see you next time.